Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. Uh, I'm excited today to have uh, a first-time guest but longtime friend, a good buddy of mine named Ed Wilms. Ed, welcome here. I'm excited to chat with you today. Hey, great to be with you, Jeff. Looking forward to this time. Uh, I know that most of our people internally know who you are. Not sure if all the leaders outside of Southridge who listen uh, are familiar with you, so maybe you could just introduce yourself, give a bit of your background so we can get to know you. Yeah, glad to do that. And thanks for the opportunity just to have a chance to share here a few thoughts with you. Um, Yeah, so I live here in St. Catharines, have been now 25 plus years, um, married to my high school sweetheart. And what that means for us is not only has it been a great run together, but uh, we're just over 40 years, which is crazy to think about. Uh, We have three daughters. a delightful son-in-law that joined the family a while back, and now two amazing uh, grandsons. So feel extremely blessed. Have been uh, both Karen and I have been in ministry homes, and so the journey of ministry kind of was modeled for us. And uh, over multiple years now, that's been our story as well. So yeah, that's a bit of who we are. Fantastic. You want to talk about our our history? Like yours and mine, and mine and Southridge. Yeah. How, yeah how, sure. how did we get? How did we get connected and get to know each other? And what kind of trouble have we been into over the years? That's obviously well, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's funny because uh, as I was reflecting on that, I realized, my goodness, we go back to like about ninety-five, maybe ninety-seven. I can't remember. Somewhere's right around the time where you were getting into ministry and stuff like that. I showed up on the scene here in Ontario. And a funny story, actually, we were serving at Scott Street Church. Some people will know what that is here in St. Catharines. And uh, about year four or so, there were some challenges within that uh, whole story. And uh, you and Michael Krause were both involved in some different Ontario conference leadership roles. And uh, Mike, in particular, came in to help mediate and help us out through some of that stuff. And so... I kind of get a kick out of the fact of how the wheels turn, and uh, here we are in a kind of a different... I remember that. I remember Mike being on the Board of Faith and Life and going in and mitigating with Scott Street. (laughs) He was indeed. And now the Uh, Faith and Life are coming in to chat with you, or they did. Oh, that's so classic. How how times change. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, so we've been around in St. Catharines for a while, and through that, had the opportunity and then uh, to connect with you guys. And not only was it in that context, but then several years later, uh, I actually was part of planting a church here in St. Catharines. And that was actually an amazing 10-year journey. And then God led us, uh, at least we really believe that's the case, God led us to partner with Southridge. And we became a multi-site at the time. I joined the staff, was even uh, part of your team for just about three years. Uh, and then moved into the the role of executive director here in Ontario. And so we've had many fun conversations. I can tell your audience that, you and I yeah. for sure. Many, many different hats. 
sometimes reporting to, sometimes getting reported to. <laughs> we've spun that we've spun that around back and forth. So you so mentioned true. that you, you've you've done a ten year run basically as the executive director here in Ontario. Specifically, we're referring to uh, our provincial branch of our denomination, uh, the Ontario Conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches. Uh, walk us through just kind of the early days of that, Ed, because I, I remember you being on staff at Southridge and us processing that at the time. Like, why did you feel called to do that? And, you know, what was your sense or your vision mm-hmm. to, to, to take on that role at the time? Well, sometimes we do crazy things, right? We get ourselves into situations where we go, my goodness, what a journey, what a story. Um, back in that era, and this was about 2012, maybe 2011-ish, um, I would say our conference was going through a pretty difficult time. And like a, any kind of church, you know, any church that's had any amount of years knows that there are peaks and there are valleys. And I would say the conference itself here in Ontario was in a bit of a challenging spot. And in the mix of all that, uh, that reminds me, you and I even had some interesting conversations around that back in that era. And in the mix of that, uh, I was just looking at the possibility of how do I kind of branch out in some of the ministry that I was involved in. and they created this position and it was the first uh, time that they had created a position of executive director for Ontario. There was a governance shift that took place. And I really felt this deep sense of calling. I don't think I would articulate it any other way. Um, Not that I was coming in to fix everything, but I just felt, you know, I've got some of the gifts. I've got some of the passion. I really love our churches. I love the pastors, those that are serving. And I just felt, boy, maybe here's an opportunity to really press in and use some of my gifts and passions. And I would say that has been part of the story. I've really appreciated, enjoyed that. And it's been an amazing 10-year run. Yeah, I remember back in the day when when you were processing that, like you were pretty involved in what we called BOCI. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the, the, the Board of Church Extension, really had a heart for church planting, whatever, but took this ED role as it kind of restructured and and the conference eventually wanted an AD, um, believing that this collection of churches and ministries and whatever was a family. I use that word deliberately because it felt like even back then, I wasn't necessarily sold on that vision. Um, But I remember us talking and you saying, no, I I really believe that, you know, that that this, this is a, a, a family that, you know, if, if someone was to pull together and, and really kind of strengthen this network and this association of groups and people and churches and ministries and whatnot, uh, that God could do something powerful. Do you want to comment on that just at the front end? Because I know that that's pertinent to the, the rest of the conversation that we're going to have. Yeah, I, I think I have in my own mind, my own heart really kind of landed on the sense. I mean, denominations mean different things to different people, and I get that. But the best way that I can articulate and best way that I've sensed it playing when it plays well for us is to visualize us as a family. And it's a living organism and there's diversity and there's all kinds of variety. And uh, you have your crazy uncle off on the side and you have all these different pieces that 
are what we experience in most, I would say, hopefully healthy family contexts. Um, families have brokenness too and challenge. So for me, yes, being with this real passion to foster a healthy, vibrant family environment where we would be in fact better together. And that term has also been part of sort of the language that we've used here in Ontario and in other places, but I really believe we could be better together. The sum of the parts, just really working together to make a bigger difference in, in across the province and beyond. Yeah. So with all that background, we've had history, you had a, a, a vision for you know what our denomination even provincially could could be. Let's get into the the, the story that you and I have journeyed now for some years because it was just a, a few years ago, probably the the summer of 2019, I would say, if we're skipping ahead, where you were made aware that Southridge, as a local church in the denomination, was looking to make some make some gains on its inclusion of LGBTQ plus people. Uh, specifically through a framework that at the time we were referring to as love beyond belief. Uh, you were actually on vacation while you were being made aware of this, even though you and I had talked, you know, in the, in yeah. the months leading up to that, we, we had some pretty open communication. But talk about that experience of what was happening when this news about Southridge was kind of crashing into your inbox or onto your phone or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I recall a couple things. I recall even a little bit earlier than that when I believe it was yourself and Joan Hyatt, then the lead moderator um, of the church, came to our board and said, hey, like we're moving in this direction. Sort of what's the inbounds and what might be offside? What are the things that we need to know as we're navigating this? And so that started some of the conversation and then, yes, there was that uh, summer when I was supposed to be on this relaxing sabbatical that all kinds of things were hitting the fan around here in Ontario. There was these in-house video leaks of stories that kind of went viral, although the viral is always a small thing because that's just within sort of the MB family primarily. But people were hearing about what Southridge was up to. And as I was uh, away, my wife and I had the privilege of going over to Spain uh, and we actually participated in the Camino walk, uh, the pilgrimage there. This was just so much on my mind and on my heart. And I just had this really deep sense, and it kind of grew as the trip went, that there was something about the inclusion conversation, about Southridge, about myself, um, that I just wasn't going to be able to escape. And that's kind of proven to be the case. Um, I would might be a bit strong to say I felt I was going to be marked by this uh, story, but in some ways, maybe that's kind of what's happened. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and, and before, before your sabbatical, even outside mm -hmm. of the, the conversations that, that we were having, like it's, it's probably worth mentioning that you were on your own personal journey and you and Karen and even your family were on your own personal journey of kind of reflecting on and processing all this for yourselves. D describe what was going on in your own heart at the time and, you know, other outside of Southridge's journey, other resources or voices that were speaking into or contributing to your thinking? Yeah, there's, I mean, one comment I would make in relation to journey is like, we're all on a journey. And 
to somehow think that we're not, <laughs> to me, just doesn't make any logical sense. Like we're all, if we're growing, if we're followers, if we're disciples of Jesus, we're on a growth journey. He's teaching us. He's encouraging us. He's bringing us into areas that are new. We have to wrestle with, etc. And so it's it's always an evolving, developing kind of story. And so when I look at this whole story kind of from my vantage point right now, I've been trying to kind of connect the dots and go, my goodness, there's been a lot of different things happening that have kind of led to where we find ourselves, but also we're shaping some of my own thoughts and my own. So I would just highlight even simple things, which isn't a simple thing, but a piece like the pandemic and the pandemic. I think it'll be years yet before we really realize how that has impacted us as a society, but also us as a church. Because if you think about it, think about, and I wouldn't say the pandemic has caused this, but it has highlighted some of the polarities that are represented in the church. You just have to think about politics, vaccine mandates, freedom convoys, whatever. Like there's all kinds of things that one can think about that have become just so polarizing. And so... That piece, I would say, I've had the privilege, not only with my kids, but through other opportunities to network pretty consistently with young leaders and have learned an awful lot. And if you want to kind of press into this conversation, boy, you need to talk to younger leaders and and hear sort of their perspective. Because for many, in some ways, this is even not an issue. It's like, let's move on already. We just got to love people and keep moving the dial forward kind of thing. Um, I would say another thing that happened uh, this particular summer, just last summer, for me, that was really significant was I was reading this book, which uh, some out there would remember or have heard about. It's called On Holy Ground. Uh, it's sort of an in-house MB document of 15 women who share their story on women in ministry. And as I was reading that, uh, one of the things that a friend of mine who is in there, she happens to be the first female lead pastor in Canada, she shared a comment that just really stuck with me. And it was simply this. It was, you know, I had professors, I had friends, I had colleagues who encouraged me to go forward, to move forward in ministry, etc., even against all the odds. And then at critical moments, oftentimes they would be silent when they needed to actually stand up and support me. And boy, I looked at myself as it relates to that issue. And I think I've tried to be really passionate about women and ministry and empowering, encouraging. But I realized, boy, in my seat of position and power, such as it is, um, what more should I be doing? And then as I thought about the inclusion conversation, I thought, you know, now may not be the time just to simply be quiet. Now might be, in fact, the time that we have to, whomever, we have to stand up and, and really make a difference for those who are on the margins. And so all of those pieces have been kind of shaping um, what has been going on in my heart and life and also became sort of the backdrop to what went down in the fall. Yeah, yeah. And let's bring people into that part of the conversation because I would say, you know, your, your Camino journey and kind of the rumblings around Southridge, that was all pre-pandemic. And we had kind of settled on, hey, even though we'd like to live out this vision of love beyond belief, we'll dial that back to remain aligned mm-hmm. with the denomination in hopes that, hey, together we'll journey this. And there's other churches and people wanting conversations. So we'll kind of stay at the table. Again, to no one's fault, 
the pandemic happened and three years go by that feel like 10 years and we weren't able to have a a ton of conversation collectively, but certainly lots changed internally at Southridge. And so coming out of the pandemic, you know, last summer, I would say spring, summer of of, uh, 22, we re-engaged this conversation with you looking to say, hey, can we now uh, live out a fuller zenith of, of love beyond belief? Uh, particularly in our case, in a way that treats these articles uh, in our MB confession of faith as disputable, even though they're confessional. Like, is there is there space for that? And and I know, you know, you sort of gave me a look like, oh man, I can't believe you're making me answer that question. But like, how did you want to move things forward once you were being asked those kinds of questions? Well, I knew. I think it was Jeff Martins that came back and he was the first one to kind of just signal, hey, Ed, we just went away on a retreat. We had a great time and we'd like to start kind of moving forward again on this conversation. And just instinctively in my own gut, I said to myself, oh, boy, like sooner or later, we're coming to some kind of a confrontation like this isn't going to just stay nice and calm and peaceful. Something here is going to change. And so. I knew moving into the fall that, yeah, we were, maybe to use the uh, title from the book just a moment ago, we were moving on to holy ground, so to speak. Um, And so as I thought about that, I thought, well, what are some of the ways that we could move this? And the one thing that had never happened and has not happened since, as far as I know yet, is that within our MB family, whether it's here in Ontario or across the country, we haven't had an actual open conversation that gives space for both perspectives to be represented. Certainly, we've done lots around representing the traditional perspective on inclusion, but we haven't done much about allowing voices to really speak sort of the other side to that. And so I thought, well, one thing we could do uh, would be to create an actual listening day, a time that was um, designed specifically to both hear the stories. So I asked yourself, I asked John Osmond, who's part of Free Church in Toronto, the two churches that were in question, to come to share your stories. We, we not only heard that, but then we also began, we attempted anyways, to, to dream a little bit about what could we do. The only alternative seemed to be that If you step across this particular line around our convictions, you have to step out of the family or be asked out of the family. And I just wasn't comfortable with that as the only option. And so I did a whole bunch of reading. There's an interesting book around what's called Borderland Churches, which was kind of an interesting concept that was maybe in play. I was thinking a little bit about sort of the Old Testament idea where there was cities of refuge uh, where you could go if you had done some crime and you know you weren't sure you were going to get a proper hearing etc so we tested some of that and honestly i thought that that day went really well i thought it was a great time the conversation was rich maybe it got a little bit uh tougher by the late part of the afternoon but i went home pretty encouraged uh but it didn't quite last. <laughs> yeah, 48 hours later, our, our provincial denominational board met and kind of, what'd you hear there? And what what decision did you all of a sudden find yourself faced to make? Yeah, so 
There had been, I guess, quite a bit of discomfort and pushback from some within the family. And I don't suppose that was completely unexpected. Maybe the, the volume and the veracity of it was maybe a bit stronger than anticipated. And it put my board uh, in an awkward spot. And I completely appreciate that. Like most of the calls didn't come to me. They went to them and they were navigating rather difficult spots, even to the point where I understand there were churches saying, look, if this is sort of a new direction we're going, uh, we're not going to be a part of that. And so they were in a really odd, challenging spot, which then pressed into me and they had to say, well, is this the path, Ed, that we're going to go on or what are we going to do? And so it led to a challenging conversation, took probably the next couple of weeks to kind of sort that out. And at the end of the day, it just seemed pretty evident that they wanted to go in a slightly direct, different direction than what I had been uh, advocating for. And so in a world where, you know, essentially you find yourself in a place where, as the executive director, the expectation is that you're not making any space for these types of conversations, but you personally are feeling like, not just yourself, but on behalf of uh, a denomination, there ought to be space for these kinds of conversations. Why, I guess, did you essentially choose to die on this hill? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure I really like the dying on the hill because I never saw it that way. Um, but obviously it's come at some cost and significant cost, I suppose. I just knew I had to be true to my my values and I had to be true to what I was personally sensing God was shaping within me. Um, this isn't something that just sort of happened out of nowhere, but it was kind of an ongoing. And like I say, back to the summer when I was sort of convicted around, you know, Will there be a moment when you have to stand and say, no, actually, I think we need to go in this direction or no, we really do need to be more gracious. We need to be do, giving more space for conversation. For me, these things just became incredibly important to articulate. And so at the end of the day, it wasn't that difficult to simply come to a, a point where I know I knew that sort of our paths were going to be moving in different directions. Um, the other thing, though, I would say, like in fairness to folks within the family, within the denomination, for some people, even the notion of asking questions on this difficult topic is almost like just not allowed. Like this issue is black and white. It's a behavior that is sinful. It's kind of the end of the conversation. And so for someone like myself to be nuancing things or trying to help us understand the complexity, some people, and I want to appreciate their perspective, just don't have that space to, to I guess, live within that kind of a gray, challenging, complex kind of moment. And so that's where we found ourselves, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you felt like... To do this job is to bring churches together. To do this job is to create space for these kinds of delicate conversations. That wasn't a, a direction that our denomination wanted to head. And so you, you parted ways and the decision ended up 
uh, costing your your role as executive director. I guess my, my final question on this section would be: What do you what do you hope a decision like that either says or inspires in people or particularly other leaders? Well, just before I get to the hope part, maybe I would just make a comment in terms of just sort of the overall feeling. Like for me, there's also just this sense of sadness, sadness mostly about missed opportunity um, because this issue simply is not going away. And so that's just really unfortunate. Um, I wish things had turned out differently. I pray that they will still into the future. And I guess I would hope for moving forward when you're in that that, position. um, to I don't know, I don't want to put to myself up that, I think is what but is really is demanded of all of us. And in. so whatever the marginalization is, knowing that we have an opportunity to make a difference, to care, to live in a space that is more gracious, more love-filled, um, I would hope could be part of what others will see and might even be inspired to participate in. Yeah. So at this point, you're a, a free agent. Uh, and so we're, we're having just a, a, a hypothetical musing conversation today. But knowing that you have had so much experience in ministry and such a heart for the church, how do you see or how do you hope just the church in general moves forward when it comes specifically to this very polarizing, very contentious discussion of LGBTQ plus inclusion? Well, I wish we could all admit that this is an extremely complex and nuanced conversation. It's not as simple as we might wish it to be. It's not as black and white as we would like it to be. And so I would hope that leaders could be honest as as the starting point about that. It's complex. And not to forget that there are people that are represented behind all of this conversation. Like that so often gets lost. It's individuals. It's a grandkid, a son, a daughter. It's a colleague. It's a friend. And so I would really hope that as we move forward, that there's just more willingness to wrestle with the diversity, the complexity of the issue. Um, We're in a season of learning I don't have this thing all figured out, um, and I think it's okay. I don't think we have to have everything completely crystal clear at this moment. But if we lean in towards grace, if we lean in towards learning, if we lean in towards what we all collectively bring to this, I think we'll be the richer for it rather than being certain about our perspective and just kind of demanding that everybody fall in line with whatever that perspective happens to be. One of the conversations we've had recently is is about your framework of denomination as family, because really this conversation at a denomination level has become much more about what a denomination is, right? Is it just a tenet of beliefs, a set of beliefs out of which, you know, that forms the permission to play, to, to do all the other stuff, all the relating and shared mission and ministry and whatnot, um, you know, versus a framework like yours that is more familial and, and uh, you know, there's kind of a, a, 
a concession or a, just an understanding that not everyone agrees about everything all the time. I guess from that perspective, how do you hope denominations like ours and frankly, other families of churches will move forward, not just on this issue, but when it comes to other hotly contested, you know, very polarizing issues among their people? Again, I think one of the things that denominations, denominational leaders need to acknowledge is that in most cases, there may be a rare few exceptions, but in most cases, denominations for all kinds of reasons are in decline. And part of this may even be just trying to sort of double down and try to prevent some of that decline. Um, but I, I don't think that's the posture that really takes us into the future. Um, convictions are really important. What we value, what we hold to, what we believe certainly is important. But then the manner in terms of how we navigate when we, when we, you know, you discover, like, just take you and I, for example, we've had lots of time to chat about all kinds of different things. And there's been all kinds of times where we've actually disagreed significantly on issues. And, you know, I guess one could just kind of check off some boxes and say, oh, sorry, Jeff, like you disagree with me on this and this and this, therefore we can't be in relationship. And we've rather chosen to keep pressing in, pressing into stuff. You know, I even get a kick out of how passionate you become about denominations because that seems kind of different than what it was 15 years ago when we had some of our first conversations. Like it's just a neat journey that we get to be on. And I think for leaders to be aware, like this is a developing story and how we treat each other, I think as well, speaks so much to sort of the heart and passion of Christ to each other. And boy, I wish we could be just that much more committed that for the long haul, we are better together rather than, well, I'm sorry, pal, like, you just think differently on this point. So therefore, you know, go find a different family or do your own thing. Um, honestly, we need each other. Um, we're not growing like we used to. If we're ever going to kind of regroup and, and really be the king, the kingdom that Christ is calling us to be, I think we would just need to really continue to press in on our family relational ties together. And are you saying that you've actually disagreed with me before? Is that, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you're funny. I'm thinking about the the the, the first sentence uh, in my book on the chapter of denominations, where I say denominations never have made much sense to me. <laughs> I know, and we've had lots of those you, conversations. You helped shepherd me through that. So, um, I guess as we wrap up, you know, knowing that our local church has recently. Uh, I would say found ourselves in the in the same place as you, uh, at odds with the denomination. Ultimately, the de delegates of the denomination uh, deciding uh, to remove us as an official member church uh, again over this issue and the incompatibility of our desire to treat a confessional issue as as disputable mm -hmm. and make space for this again understanding the difficult position that they were in. That's not a comment of blame. It's just a a, a fact. You know, what, what's your what's your hope for a church like Southridge and its longtime denominational family 
as kind of a closing vision for all of us, I know not everyone who listens to this is from Southridge, but you know, as a final encouragement, not just to our members, but to others, leader, other leaders who are listening, when it comes to these trajectory-shaping eras and difficult decisions, what, what's your hope for a church like ours and a denomination like ours? Well, as I think of Southridge specifically, and maybe even just specifically to this moment, um, anytime you walk through a really difficult season, and it's been experienced completely differently by different people, I fully get that. So for some, this is just a relief, and finally we can move on. For others, it's heartbreaking because of all the relational stuff. Like, I think it's important to note that something really significant has actually happened in this moment. And Honestly, I think it saddens the heart of Christ. Uh, so that's real. We have to continue to navigate that. And we have to really guard hearts, our own hearts, in terms of how we journey that. Um, one can become bitter. One can become angry. One can, all kinds of emotions flood into these things. And so to be really attuned to, if in fact we want to love beyond belief, we have to live it. And we have to live it with this issue and the next issue and the next issue. And you know, at Southridge, this is just one issue. There's all kinds of other stuff that continues to crop up in the life of the church. And so there's lots of ample playground opportunities to test how we love when we see things differently. And so that kind of is the litmus test of, you know, are we actually just about a particular issue or are we trying to find ways to really love and care for each other and particularly for those on the margins so that would be sort of the specific thing um to southridge um i might have a few other thoughts but i don't know how you want to wrap it up jeff yeah we're getting close if you have a final thought i mean give us a final encouragement for for those outside of the church but uh yeah well, I, I guess closing thoughts would just be like there is a lot of hope in all of this. We're, we're, we've walked through some pretty deep waters. It's challenging. It's been painful, different degrees of, of pain for each and every one of us. But I do see hope moving forward. I see hope that there are people a lot smarter than myself wrestling with all the theological implications of this issue. I see hope in that there are and maybe unfortunately, but there are a growing number of churches that are finding themselves in exactly the same spot that Southridge finds itself. And there may be opportunity to partner and network in some of those realities. I see hope in the younger generation of leaders that are coming up that see this maybe just that much in a broader sense than some of us have been able to hold on to. And I think that's really good. And then I see hope in the hearts and stories that I hear from parents and grandparents and friends who are living this in real time with real people um, every day. And my kudos to them. I think we all have so much to learn. And at the end of the day, I still see hope that love does cast out fear. And so we press in, and I still continue to want to be part of Jesus's answer, or the I want to be a part of the answer to Jesus's prayer that we would be one. And I think that's still what we're to be about. So awesome. let's keep going. Yeah, certainly an encouragement, a challenge to me if we really believe in 
this concept of love beyond belief. Let's believe it and let's live it out in, it. in the areas for all of us that are, that are challenging. So thanks for that, Ed. Appreciate you being here and uh, just, just honor the, 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 the faith and faithfulness, not only in your uh, executive director decade of worth of era, but uh, you know, in these recent, in the, in these recent weeks and months as you've had to make some tough choices. So uh, appreciate you sharing with us today. And uh, for all of you who tracked with us, uh, we hope that we'll see you again in around seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody.